welcome to Pirate Utopias. My name is Aaron Benavides. I'm a producer, musician, and... I'm Chris Caballero, and I am a producer and investor. So we talk to uh, artists, creatives, business people about um, crypto. We talk about creativity. We talk about how to be an artist and a person in this new age and how to live an autonomous life here. So today, we're real excited to talk to one of our good friends, Jerome Morrison. He's a technologist over there at Meow Wolf. He just got done doing the installation in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. um, he's a great interactive artist um, and has done a lot of really, really awesome work. So this is going to be a fun combo. And yeah, so how you doing, Jerome? I am doing pretty all right. It is a Friday, been a long, a very long week. Because yeah, as y'all said, coming pretty fresh off of the Vegas installation. Uh, but now like Denver is very much hot on its tail. There oh, really sure. has been like no rest for the, for the wicked. So yeah, still trying to be deep into that, but also the, the way that we deploy that art, the way that our team has made Vegas, you know, we'll get more about this during the interview, but we are doing like continuous deployment, like to that system. We're still, you know, having to do a lot of support for the operations that are out there uh, for the, for some of the gameplay and some of the new tech that we've installed. We're still having to like do a lot of catch up work on that. Um, or rather just kind of like filling in on just like documentation and just like informing people about how things are working and sometimes stuff will like break. So we have to, you know, it could even happen like during this, cause I know that the show is going, I may even get like a message on Slack. That's like, Oh no, this thing has gone down. So I have to like get on and try and fix it. Hopefully that won't happen though. Yeah. Knock on wood, you know? Well, no, it'll be great. We get that inside scoop. We're like, this is what it's like at Meow Wolf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is uh yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah, shit's broken, but no, but then we just hop right on and fix it. So, I mean, it's it's been pretty stable and pretty fun. But, um, yeah, there's yeah. There are definitely little, it's little tiny things that uh, that we have to, you know, get in and, and try and catch. Because it was really the first time that we ever stood up a system like this. And it didn't help, you know, with COVID, like COVID didn't help uh, help us at all um, in an in amount of the, the amount of like, the types of devices and the types of interaction that we wanted to make, like while we were building that over the summer, I'm literally just having to like jump on zoom with my phone and like point my camera down at the little, you know, screen and, and, and touch the little touch screen on the system that we built to try and show what some of the interactions were going to be. But that really was, it, it was informative enough to kind of get it to a certain point, but it wasn't until we, the whole team was finally back together out in Vegas on the ground and like, and the entire system actually stood up all of the, the global lighting and global sound systems that we plugged into all of those elements being there that like some of the, the game designers were finally able to be like, Oh, this is like what it's going to be like. And then we started frantically like making changes on the fly. Um, really, <laughs> really trying to yeah like get the system up and running and like in an, in an actual good experience so that like when a guest first comes in and has no idea what to expect that it is a pretty seamless uh process you know to get them onboarded and in the game and and booping around with these little rfid cards and yeah i don't, I don't want to spoil too much but you know yeah you all can see here on the on the, uh -huh. the omega on the screen yeah the omega mart rfid card systems so uh so yeah yeah pretty pretty fresh off of that and a bit drained here on a friday but definitely energized to like be talking to some two very good friends of mine hail yeah 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 that's really interesting um 
Yeah, because you've been working on that for like two years now? Yeah, I'd say uh, coming up on two and a half years. I, I joined the team officially uh, in October of 2018, mm-hmm. though I did some work with uh, with some of the members for Meow Off Outside in 2018 um, and uh, during South by Southwest, if anybody remembers that, that fun five-day you know, uh, scavenger hunt of shenanigans and tomfoolery. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a thing they used to do back in the before times. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, back in the f- before times. And, we, you know, we could, like, all get together in crazy crowds and have, uh, you know, weird cult, occult rituals in the middle of the forest so that somebody could get a stamp in their interdimensional passport yeah. so they could win this competition to to have access to all meow wolf things until the end of time or the end of the multiverse, whichever comes first. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I'm kind of curious, like what you're thinking. Cause like, uh, you know, a lot of, I've had a lot of events over the past year that I've had to kind of restructure like, or, you know, I mean, you had to just do a different event because of COVID and I'm curious. Cause like so many of the events and, installations that we do are very based in like being close to people touching things you know relating and stuff i'm curious what like did you guys take that into account did you change a bunch of stuff like when you were designing things for like most i guess it was just mostly over this past year or were you guys able to kind of stick to the original kinds of ideas that you were we've we've been able to for for vegas we were definitely able to stick to a lot of the original idea um, where things changed on us was uh, it was in the House of Eternal Return, which is still closed. But I, I think I can say this because the email went out uh, publicly that, yeah, that the house now, after a year, uh, is finally going to reopen. Okay. And there were definitely some some changes that needed to be made there for because you know it's a very high touch you know space. But yeah, if you all remember, like kind of the the hand like the hand uh-huh. scanners that would open up the doors have been turned into like elbow scanners. There's a bunch <laughs> okay. of, uh, there are a bunch of, you know, like sculpted, um, uh, hand sanitizer stations, but have like, you know, weird, creepy sculpture kind of meowifies sorts of things on there. Uh, and then, and, and a couple of other like things too. We've like the, uh, they replaced some of the documents with QR codes so that now those documents are digitized. Um, because they were taken by like the Society of Peripheral Studies, quote unquote, for <laughs> yeah. for additional for additional, um, uh, you know, like like scanning or something like that. Like there there's narrative reasons why, but yeah, they had to make some adjustments for the house in order to make that that place COVID safe. Uh, luckily, like the way that Vegas is was designed is that it already was pretty open, and there's not really a whole like not nearly as much like touchy intimate kind of sections like like it has at the house of return or return uh definitely more like kind of open spaces like you know the grocery store or factory but again not wanting to like spoil so much i just think yeah. people should should definitely go go check it out and see it for themselves yeah i love that that like that aspect of meowth is that you can tie like everything into the plot that they have designed you know it's just like it's such a, uh, I feel like very rare, it's very rare that people do stuff like that. Like, you know, you go to Disney and everything has a different plot, kind of. I mean, sometimes sure. they'll cut them together. But what's right. what's really cool about Meow Wolf is that they have this extended game that just keeps going and going and going. And anything you can just weave into the game, like they're really smart or, I don't know, this is their plot line, you know? Yeah, well, you know, one of the nice things, though, too, is that, like, you say that you can tie everything back to the storyline, but the way that 
that we kind of do that I've been noticing that we like to do things like Meowth and and in a lot of other um, what's called uh, like uh, alternate reality games is that if you have enough interesting elements together then you get this thing called emergent gameplay or emergent narrative where people will kind of come up with their own idea of what the thing is so you know if you go to the house or if you go to you know yeah if you go to the house or again in like other alternate reality games you can ask 10 different people hey what's the story here and you're going to get 10 different answers and that's mm-hmm. fine you know like there's a, a friend of mine and a, some a woman a, a person i used to work with says that like the kind of work that we do is we create the potential for the stories that people will tell their friends later on. So you're not creating the story. It's not like, all right, you're going to go there and then this will happen to you. And then this, and then this, and then this, like, that's not how it's supposed to work. What it is instead, it's going to be, you have these elements and that can happen. And you know, if it's designed in the right way, they can happen in any sort of order, but like your story will be personal to you. And, and you will have these elements that like, as you're telling the story of like how it is that you interacted with this space, you will, that's going to be, yeah, like your own story that you wind up telling to other people. So that's really what the job is, is to like, is to create elements, to create moments. And you as the participant will put those moments together to create your own story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. You know, it's like a kind of more like a Dungeons and Dragons idea, you know, like what's the game? Well, you know, there's, there's some paper and there's a pencil and a book and there's a bunch of friends and there's some dice well, yeah. How did the game go? Well, it's that's uh, pretty that's pretty open for interpretation. Yeah. So there's definitely like that is definitely one extreme of things where it's more so kind of like open world and and anything can kind of like happen to you when you're playing like a tabletop game, Dungeons and Dragons. You can have somebody that comes in there and just wants to like totally wreck shit. But you know you don't. And then like on the other end of the, that spectrum is something like a video game, like you know mm-hmm. like di- like digital with like where it's in the controls in your hand, and there are very programmed limited things limited actions that you can do in that space you can't you know if like the game is not programmed for you to fly then like you can't fly like you know one of the things that people always want to do too is like oh can i swim or rather anytime you're in an open world game the first thing that somebody will always do is like what happens if i jump off of a building you know like kind of there's there's that sort of like ways of like testing what's within the system so those are kind of like the two extremes and where we are with Meowth is that like when you introduce that human element yeah uh, or again with like any alternate reality game humans are always going to do something unexpected uh and and so you can design for that you can design for the unexpected um but also like design in a way where like you're not going to get too many people that will like go off of this weird you know go off on this weird tangent weird weird sort of thing so you know on the team that that we're on with this rfid system and with like kind of this personalized gameplay that we are uh, working on getting into more of these exhibits a little bit more kind of like contained more like kind of in that video game realm where there are limited things that you can do within that digital system, but still leaving open the ways that you can interact with some of the guests that you're there with some of the, what we call creative operators, docents, like is a cheaper way of saying that, but what our, our employees do is definitely more than just like what a docent does. We call them creative operators. Um, yeah, it's just like, how do you kind of bring in all of those elements of like this kind of static technical system of, you know, like interactions, specific interactions that you'll have on screens or with certain installations, but then like, what is it that you may be doing with your friends? And so right now we're trying to like 
figure out how we want multiplayer to sort of work in this space. That's one of the things that we discovered in Vegas was that like we designed kind of systems for just one person to interact with a thing. But we're seeing that like, yeah, if people are together in a group of like two or three and if a couple of them want to like boop at the machine, then like, how do you account for that? And then how do you, and then how do we also educate our creative operators to also like kind of get in on the game and start to interact with the humans that are interacting with these technical machines. So it's all, it's very fresh to us. Like really, we are like literally like two or three weeks off of completing Vegas um, and already kind of like transitioning on to like figuring out more things about Denver mm-hmm. and um, trying to really, yeah, find find some interesting balance. So really try and take some learnings that we've had from one and apply it to the other. And then it definitely applied like some other things that we have in the works uh, that I'm not going to talk about. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Come yeah. on. Nah. About it. I like my job. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. No, I, I find that really interesting because, you know, I've been really into this kind of concept called um, mechanism design. And a lot of it is like with... Um, with like economics, like people there, there's a, a, it's a new kind of theory emerging where it's like, you're trying to design the mechanism of the economy, almost like a game. They, I haven't heard a lot of people talk, obviously game theory comes into it a lot, but like, you know, very rarely does game theory meet play. And so, uh, which is very ironic, but I think it's interesting that like the kinds of lessons that y'all are learning in creating this like totally immersive open world game and and it's like that in the most literal sense and i i'm i really want to see like down the line like 10 years what are the lessons that we can learn from this type of i don't know gameplay or mechanism design that we could potentially apply towards like public institutions you know things like how the government works you know well i guess yeah you are talking about like the gamification of of more things you know like like one of the the things that has become gamified in my life recently has been uh meditation like i've gotten onto the headspace app Uh Uh, yeah i'm sure like a lot of people in in your audience may may be familiar with that um and just the element that it has on there of like this is how many days in a row you've meditated like you know you're on like a six-day streak you're on a seven-day streak and so this gamification where i am competing against myself to make sure that i like kind of keep up that habit and just enjoying like watching my score slowly 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 tick up uh and it was actually on like this past weekend that i uh that the streak broke, but like for very good reasons. Cause I was like with some good friends and was like, Hey, you know what? I don't need to like, I, I, it's funny. I was, I did like do lots of meditation, you know, while spending time with those friends, but just not through the app. And so it reset my counter, but now I have, it's like, Oh, it's been that many days since I like had a very fantastic weekend with my friends. Um, but yeah, the, but that, that is a good point though. It was like, how can we do more things to sort of like, yeah, do that gamification of maybe more important systems, but that creates that interesting feedback loop of like the dopamine kick that you get for like when you see a score increase, for when you see like some of these numbers, when you are right. competing in a healthy way with some of your some of the other people in your network, with some of your other friends. Like there are more ways of applying that kind of uh of applying those those sorts of ideas, which already are being applied, but for towards some like very negative things, or at least like for bad feedback loops, like that's exactly what Facebook, Instagram, all those types of things are too. There's a gamification that's there. There's a gamification with like pulling your, pulling, you know, the, when you're trying to refresh the app and how you like pull the screen down, like kind of like when you're pulling uh, the lever at a, 
at, oh, a, at a casino machine. That. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, I mean, like, that's a very specific game. Like you're like, cool. I'm going to refresh. Like what is the new content that's about to pop up on my screen that is going to make me happy and give me a dopamine kick, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and it's designed to like, kind of always give you that extra dopamine kick, which is what like keeps you on, which keeps you in that game. So, you know, we can apply those ty- same types of like interactions, but for, for better means, you know, and so we're trying to, we're at Meow if we're doing that with fun. How can we take some of those ideas, but make it so that things are like, so that you're having fun, but you're having fun with other people for creating some like stronger connections with the people that you're there with, maybe with like some strangers, you know, how can we create, especially with, like, again, with like creative operators, like I was talking about at the beginning, like how do you create the potential for those moments of especially like that human to human interaction that people are going to walk away with and like doing that, like supported by technology, but the technology is not like the end means that is just a vehicle for more of these, you know, for, for more human to human connections. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like it cause it's like even getting rid of the name docent and choosing creative operator is like such a a big leap because it's like usually it's just treating you like you're a robot like if we have to have a person here if we could just get like a a sign that would like answer people's questions then we would do that (laughs) but i mean the fact that it's like well we have a human here let's allow them to be creative in their own way let them find a a mode of self-expression and i think even that like is really cool you know and like, to be surprising you know yeah. like like the creative operators they will okay will constantly surprise you and then there was actually a really great moment during like the vegas opening where one of uh one of the creative directors of of vegas uh was going through some of the gameplay that that we had designed with the rfid cards and uh, I think I had given him some. I had given him some instruction on like how to find a certain document on a computer, um, but I didn't. I forgot that like you had to do some of these other things before doing that. So I sent him kind of on a fool's errand, where he, where like while he was up there and he was like struggling to get the thing done, but then a, a creative operator came up to him and was like, "Hey, like, are you trying to like break into this email right now?" He was like, "No." He was like, "Hey, man, it's fine." I'm part of the resistance. You got to do this. And I kind of gave him a wink, wink. And it was just this moment that, that they had of, uh, of, yeah, where like a creative operator, like kind of totally surprised him and was like, you know, he, you know, was, if he's kind of playing along in the game was like, Oh no, I'm getting busted right now. It was like, Oh no, it turns out like this person's on the inside too. <laughs> you know, like a very tiny That's moment cool. that like that the technology facilitated, you know, or like a goal that he was trying to do with the technology facilitated, but the human element that was in the middle of that created a totally, you know, whole wholesome, unique moment for this person you know, who's been working on the exhibit for like two, three years. And now it's like, as they're finally able to enjoy the fruits of their labor, you know, there's like a human uh, and like this other human element that's there that is like totally surprising. So I can only imagine that that's happening over and over again right now, even as we speak, you know, because Vegas opened up, yeah, I don't know what, three, four hours ago, something like that. Um, yeah, that, that's just happening like on a regular basis. And and those creative operators are only going to be getting better and better at that as they like have a better understanding too of like what that gameplay, uh, what those gameplay elements are. So, yeah. 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 I love the, I just love the idea of like, you know, allowing room for being surprised, like, and just the ability of empowering your audience to write their own story. 
Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's such a powerful like concept that I wish that would apply to the things in our lives. Like, how, like there's gotta be a way to make that like for taxes <laughs> or something, you know, for like yeah. uh, healthcare insurance, like couldn't there be a way to incorporate things like that instead of making them these, just these brain dead, like automaton, like, uh, this is, this is designed sure. to be the shittiest experience you'll ever have, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's a, I think that's about like kind of a men, there's a mentality thing that's sort of there. And as far as like, game design gameplay there's like even a larger theory that i like to apply to things like this haven't been able to do it so fully at that the behemoth that is meow wolf but i'm starting to slip the idea in there <laughs> and that is the 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 concept of um oh what is it it is uh, self-determination theory and it is kind of based upon these three these three pillars of autonomy relatedness and competence and so, you know, if you, if somebody, if, if you are in an experience or like even within life as well, it's like this type of, it is those three things that will make somebody feel, yeah, like they have this, like this internal drive, this like self-determination. And so, yeah, like I said, autonomy, relatedness, and competence. So autonomy, meaning, not meaning total freedom, but that like, here are some boundaries. And within these boundaries, within this framework, you can go around and do whatever it is that you want. So there's definitely like within Yelf, there's definitely a lot of like autonomy that's already there. It's like, here's a giant playground, go push the buttons that you want to go push, read the things if you want to read things, like doesn't really matter. The ne- one of the next things on there though is like relatedness is the relationships. And so like what are within your this these autonomous bounds, what relationships are you building as a consequence of some of the actions that you're taking? Whether those are relationships with like the family that you've come there with, or, you know, you see a lot of times in like video games and especially those like choose your own adventure kinds of games, things like Mass Effect, The Witcher, whatnot, there's consequences like for those actions. And so there's like, so you're building relationships with characters within that game, or you're building, you know, in real life, you're building relationships with work, with family, with friends, like as a consequence of like your, the decisions that you're making. And then that third piece is competence. Is that like, are you, is the system designed in a way where like, as you make decisions, you are getting the right kind of feedback that says like, yes, you're doing it right. Or like, no, you're not quite doing it right. But like, try this other type of thing. Like if you, like the mechanics that are built in is rewarding you for your competency. And so, so then you kind of get into this, 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 this feedback mechanism where I'm making competent decisions as a result, like I'm making decisions, I'm able to make decisions as a result of those decisions, I'm being rewarded, like through relationships that I'm building through like other rewards that I may be getting, whether that's financial, whether that's experience points, whether that's, yeah, like other, other relationships that you're building. And it's when people have like, feel as if they have full control or at least like some amount of control, like within that, within like the boundaries of my job, I'm able to make decisions, like competent decisions. And I'm rewarded for making those competent decisions by like better relationships that I'm building with other people that are also trusting me to like make those decisions that are giving me more boundaries to start to work within those types of things. And so, you know, within the realm, and I learned this from, you know, something that I will definitely recommend to your, uh, to your listeners is there's, um, a game designer named Jason Vandenberg, who, and actually in your old roommate, uh, Aaron Cody, or maybe that was before you lived there, but if you remember Cody, um, is the one who turned me on to this guy. 
Actually, no, that's not. Cody reminded me of this guy, but I actually met him during East Coast Game Conference back in 2012. Yeah. Anyway, God, uh, but this guy, this, but yeah, yeah, this this guy, yeah, it was. I, <laughs> yes, yes, it was. But so yeah, this guy Jason Vandenberg um, talks about like player drives or like the reason why somebody starts playing a game is not the same reason why somebody continues playing a game. Like you are first attracted to a game or you may be first attracted to a job, first attracted to really like anything that you, that has your interest for a multitude of reasons. Like I like this game because it's a fantasy game. I like this person because their body shape is like this. Like I like this job because it like is, is this kind of job. But if over time, if though if kind of your autonomy relatedness competence is not fulfilled then like then it no longer becomes as interesting as like when the thing first started like you're attracted to it for one reason but you will keep doing the thing because you have self-determination within that within that realm within that game within that system um so that is my idealized version of like the kinds of experiences that as you know, at Meow for even throughout like all, all sorts of other, like this whole realm of alternate reality games and alternate reality, like stories and things like this whole realm of things is how to build more systems like that. Where like the participant has a sense of autonomy, you know, they are make, able to make decisions that have consequences and those consequences, like give them more information, get them more connections to either fictional characters that are within the system or you know and so they so that they actually start to care about like the consequences of things that happen to them you know like one of the the most one of my most emotional experiences uh and it like has been like through a video game it was like was in mass effect when you know a character that you've been that i've been forming a relationship with over like three games so maybe like I don't know, 150, 200 hours, something like that over like the course of these three games. And then I make a decision where they like decide to kill themselves because like I did not help out their alien race because they were like against these like AI geth sort of things. I don't, I don't know anything, but, but like, you know, it, it was, this, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's a, no, it's a two year old game at this point. Right. But um, yeah, just like those, like building relationships with, fictional characters or like also building relationships with people that you've traveled to that exhibit with or even sometimes more importantly with total strangers like what are the moments that you have we see this all the time at burning man like burning man is the perfect example of like self-determination theory right of you know of like you have this entire like you stay within the with you know on the burning man grounds but while you're in there there's like this whole playground for you to go go around in and you know you're definitely your competency is definitely like tested every oh. like at every moment oh. that you're there you know like where are you prepared for what it is <laughs> yourself into did you bring water like, yeah did you bring water like all those kinds of things and those have consequence like those things have have consequences um both good and bad you know depending on the decisions that you've made so that's that's why yeah like people all the time talk about like burning man is a giant video game and then even now during pandemic literally turned into into a vr video game in uh, on, on several different um several different platforms you know so uh anyway yeah so but i was saying that like but i do uh to get back to like jason vandenberg i recommend people look up uh gdc it's a game developers conference 
Jason Vandenberg and like he has one that's about player drives another one that is about yeah like self-determination theory he's got a couple of different talks on there um and yeah it's just definitely been a very enlightening uh like talks that 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 he has given that I've applied not only to you know like the like the realm of video games or the realm of like alternate reality games but of just my own life like i have gamified a whole lot of different things you know within my own life that i definitely feel like oh this is a moment where i've like leveled up you know i just had to go out to vegas for the installation for for meow and definitely like applying that to uh like within video game logic of okay cool like this is the part in the game where you're like taking out of the, the world that you've been playing in the entire like you know for the entire game uh, like what resources did you bring with you? And then also like by the time you come back, you've probably unlocked a couple of like new skill trees. You know, you've definitely like leveled up in some way. Um, you know, there are definitely uh, like parts of the map that were black that are no longer black and now are, um, you know, that are now starting to be illuminated, like physically like on the ground there. I know my way around Vegas now more. I've like, I acquired, you know, some new like fun articles of clothing and things. I have found... Uh, you know, forge new relationships and like unlocked a whole new skill tree that I can start to like uh, put my experience points towards to like unlock if I like decide to like, you know, um, you know, mine, if I decide to like spend the time like investing in those various skills that I now have like come back with. So, so yeah, there's, it's, it's kind of mentality. So even like something like taxes, like I'm sure that there are definitely people out there, I bet you accountants and, and folks who just love their way around numbers you know, see with the stock market too all the time. And definitely, and yeah, taxes, I'm sure is a game, especially for those who are like millionaires, billionaires, like what are the ways that I can like cheat this system and make it work for me? Like I am extremely competent at this system and yeah, it is going to I, better my relationship with money. So, well, yeah. I mean, it really makes you think, cause like a lot of people will complain, like, you know, using the big example of school and it's like, you know, you're bad at school and, you you know, that must mean you suck. Or you need to be motivated and blah, 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 blah. But like, I think it comes down to maybe school is just a bad game, you know, and you don't have much autonomy. Yeah, yeah no, there's there's yeah, there is not much autonomy with like within the school system as we know it. Now, I uh, you all may remember that I used to back when I was living in Austin. I did used to teach at a small private school. I could definitely give him a shout out here, Skybridge Academy, which was which is a wonderful example, I think, of of again like uh, like self determination, uh, the application of like self determination theory. Because at this school, um, at the end of every semester, the teachers would come up with a list of classes that they wanted to teach, and I was the the media teacher there. So I, I taught kids either like how to do things with uh, Photoshop and Illustrator. One of my most popular game uh, classes was like how to make 2D games using this this platform called Construct. How to you know like do animations with After Effects, things like that. So the teachers would come up with a list of classes that they would like to teach, and then the students would vote on them. And then depending on which classes like got the highest vote, then that would we would build our schedule around that. And, you know, and they, there were definitely like everybody always had to take kind of like math and English and whatnot, but we were definitely free as teachers and the students were free as well for us to kind of like pivot and, ad and, and adapt to the different needs of the different students and just kind of see what is it that you're interested in and encouraging and like kind of being 
being aware of like, what is it that it seems like these students are interested in and that they want to be doing. And then being able to like build a curriculum around that. So it's like here, like you have some autonomy within these bounds within like, you know, this block of time, we are going to be playing with this program with this software. Here are the tools like for doing that. And, you know, they would be rewarded definitely like in, in their competency or rather like the, even the way that, that these students were kind of graded, they weren't given like, you know, traditional A, B, C, D, or E. They were given, um, we rated them, oh, I'm trying to remember, we, we like rated them in four different categories. And it was something like participation, perseverance, uh, initiative, and I forget get what the other one is but basically yeah rewarding them like for trying to do the work now it's like what is it that you know but how have you uh, how have you taken advantage of the time that was given to you mm-hmm. to like to make something so so yeah that's what I loved about like my my job there is that like I was my job was like anything that you can make with a computer I wanted to teach kids how to do that um and definitely along the way too, like learned a whole lot myself. Like I definitely offered up some classes with stuff that I had no idea really how to do. <laughs> and like, and like, you know, a week or two before teaching the class and sometimes, you know, <laughs> the morning of like learn how to like do the thing. But also that's the way that like computer programming and a lot of times like works is that like, you know, teaching people how to teach themselves, teaching these these students. It's like, hey, this is a tutorial like that I found. Let's go through this tutorial together. This is how it is that we're going to learn. You know, and now already so many of my skills are outdated, but I can just jump back onto a computer and I need to like get back into doing a tutorial to like learn how to make the thing. So uh yeah, so so yeah, but you're right, like the school system as we kind of know it is not an ideal place for yeah, for kids kind of like finding that self-determination, uh, especially in more like, you'll, you'll, you'll find that on the schools that, you know, that you pay for on private schools or in, you know, like upper, upper income places. But, right. you know, we know in like low income places and man, does my heart go out to all the students, you know, now that are stuck home because COVID and having like learned in front of their computer. That's just like, that's a whole other can of worms to kind of get into. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there are, there are methods for kids to get that kind of like feeling of of control and of like trying something failing learning from it trying again failing learning iterating and then kind of eventually succeeding um there are yeah different methods and and ways for kids to do that for example like minecraft you know minecraft is a perfect example of like of a game that is totally about like yeah self-determination where you can just get in and do whatever the whatever it is that you want within you know the boundaries of of the minecraft world but there's like your the the things that you can do is almost is pretty limitless you know i don't yeah so um go eight for that (laughs) yeah yeah, i mean and the reason why is because it is because of the like the perfect like level of like self-determination of autonomy relation Uh relation is um relationships and competence that they're able to get through that game that's what that is what that addiction loop is about that's why i mean and that's and it's a i think that is a good addiction there's like the other negative addictions things like yeah facebook and Instagram, like those kinds of things where it's just mining your data. But in places, yeah, like Minecraft, um, other kinds of like crafting, other other games that are like crafting games. It's like, here is a problem. Here is a set of tools. And there's like an infinite number of ways that you can put those tools together to solve the problem. Yeah. Um, which way do you want to do it? And every one of those ways is valid, you know? And well, it's, think- it's obviously validated by like you winning that level or whatever. 
and and I I think that like it's almost like well you know schools are designed for that that way for a reason you know they're designed because they don't it's I think you're uh, what's really cool about like what y'all are doing is leaving room for the unexpected the surprising the things to emerge that you didn't expect and like with school it's like no I want my kid to be a lawyer you know like so can you can you make my kid a lawyer just like it's just sending them through the pipeline you know and I think right what we're coming up against now it's like we actually need more people to like come up with unexpected solutions but and and I think that's like the tide is slowly changing there, but like, yeah, it's, it's learning to realize that the reason why uh, a lot of the problems are existing is because we don't feel like there's a, there's a, a place. Yeah. We, we, we feel stuck. Like there's just a one track and you're on this track and that's just who you are. And that's where you go, you know, because yeah, and- I don't know, we're afraid of what would emerge. I guess, yeah, instead of, like, teaching folks how to make the various track, like, how to make that track themselves, how do you gain a collection of skills that, like, put you in a position where you're just good at solving problems, where it's like, there is a challenge that is before you, and then also some other humans that you have to work with that are also facing this, like, collective challenge together, what what tools do you have for communication for like for applying like the skill like whatever kind of yeah for for communication for the various types of skills that you may have like how do we teach more folks how to like work together in teams and to apply skills that are across you know that could be applied to many different Uh, types of mediums for many different types of outcomes it's more so like those are the kinds of skills that we need to to be teaching to kids again like going back to my time at skybridge academy like teaching kids how to learn themselves you know how to like go on to some online tutorial either for like the media classes that we had or for like some of the upper level math classes like how to go through those how to go through those tutorials and like kind of solve some of those problems. And then to also like how to handle failure and like, but not like judge the kid on like, you tried to do this thing and you failed. You did not complete this game. Like you, yeah, at the start of the semester, you said that you want to make a game that did this, this, and this, you did not do that. Like you have a game that like does not meet those criteria, but I saw you in here every day. I saw you iterate a whole bunch of times. We like talked about it. You like, you know, went home, you like, ate some food, you slept on it, you came back with another solution or like something else that you wanted to try. You persevered through this thing. And because of like your perseverance, because of the initiative that you were given, like you're being rewarded for that. Like those are the things that people need to be rewarded for is for trying a thing, not necessarily for like succeeding at doing a thing. Yeah. Because, you know, all, all of the the wonderful famous artists and actors and like whoever it is, who it is that, that you that you idolize, would not have gotten to where they are if they did not like seriously fail at something, but get back up and try the thing again, because they are, because the thing that they are rewarded by is like the things that they learn along that process of trying a thing, failing, and then like having another opportunity to like try again and try again and try again, you know, and, and little wins that they may get along the way. Uh, like how do we get how do we do more rewards for like those little wins of trying something than you know versus just like being mr perfect you know or mrs perfect or you know you know at the very start um yeah yeah 
I mean, a lot of that reminds me, there's this guy who I've been like pretty obsessed with recently named Andrew Huberman. He's a Stanford neuroscientist. And he talks a lot about like that pathway because he talks a lot about how do you increase um, brain plasticity or how do you get better at things? And so he talks a lot how like, you know, he said this too, like we like when they that they would like zap different parts of people's brains, you know, while they're conscious. And they would like kind of ask them, like, what are your favorite parts? You know, what feels the best? And you would think it would be the, uh, you know, the parts related to pleasure or something like that. But it was actually parts that was like a sort of mild frustration, like a mild, like anxiety, which when you think about it, that's what we like when we're solving a puzzle or playing a game or doing a thing like uh, you're kind of like amped up. And what that is, is that's your adrenaline pumping up norepinephrine. And that gives you that sense. And when it gets really, really high, it can be anxiety. It can be all sorts of other things. But that's what motivates you to move and do a thing. But then what keeps you doing it? Because if it goes too far, then eventually it burns you out and then you want to quit. So what (laughs) keeps you coming back to it is uh, dopamine. And dopamine suppresses the norepinephrine. So keeps it in that window, which can keep you motivated. And the problem is that oftentimes we find we get our dopamine from like, you know, shitty sources, sugar, caffeine, drugs, whatever. Um, And so those things can form us form addictions to substances that can become unhealthy. But what he talks about is that the ideal way to do it is to give yourself like intrinsic rewards. And what he offers is things like, um, you know, just saying like, yeah, I'm on it. I'm doing a good job or I'm I'm doing like, yeah, I'm, I'm moving in the right direction. And just giving yourself a little dopamine hit every time that you do something, which is like what you're doing, you know, like there's nothing intrinsically valuable about having a seven day or 20 day or whatever streak on your meditation app. But you give yourself a little ding. You're like, yeah, I'm moving forward. I'm becoming the person I want to be, you right. know, every time I I see it, that number get a little bit higher. And so it's like, I can't, it kind of all fits in that, that if you want, it's almost like you want to be a, a good human. It's just learning how to treat life as a game. You know, it's like an anti-fragile mm-hmm. sort of thing, you know? Yeah. And so, so w- as you were saying that, you reminded me of uh, like coding and mm-hmm. like compi- like trying to compile code, right? Mm-hmm. If you, you've written a program and then when you first try and like launch the program, you get a bunch of errors and you have to like, it's like, all right, I launched the thing and it failed and I don't know why. And now I need to like read through these errors. I need to figure out why. I'm like, I'm frustrated that it didn't work exactly perfectly the first time. And like, <laughs> but you can't walk away from it though. And so then, you know, you like change a couple of lines of code, you try again, still getting the error, change some more lines, try something else. You compile again. Now you get a new error. It's like, <laughs> oh, cool. Like now I'm failing in a new way. Like this is not yeah. like I was, I was failing before. And now like, obvious, I have, I know that I have succeeded at that thing. Cause I am not failing at that part anymore. And that was a new part for me to fail at. And so just like, it's funny watching people's, you know, faces. If they've been like looking up your shoulder while you're programming. And then, you know, I hit that compile code and it's like, Oh yes, I get excited. They're like, wait, but what's all that red? It's like, don't worry about that. Like the old red isn't there anymore. Now it's like That's new red. New red. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this is this is new red. This is a new problem, and so that means that we've like gotten further, right? Uh, and so, yeah, like like there's definitely uh, that. Some of the the moments that I have been the most engaged in something is definitely like while I'm failing at it, and I think that I have been blessed in my life by uh, the amount of support that I have gotten 
from family, from yeah, my parents, from teachers, from friends who are supportive of me in those moments of like of those times that that I was like failing at something and continue to like encourage me and like push me forward. Uh, to like kind of to feed me you know like that's that's one thing that I'm needed that like a lot of times too I will get like tunnel vision on a thing and get like really frustrated by it and then somebody will just come by it's like hey man you need you want some food I'm gonna go get some food you want to like something I'm like oh yeah I guess I should take a break I've been at this for like five hours uh-huh. you know like those those types of uh moments of like having a good that's like the other missing piece, you know, a lot of time to a lot of folks that are not, that may not be succeeding at this or like at whatever it is, it's just like not having the most supportive network of friends, of family, uh, of people around them that like when they fail, when they screw up, that they are, you know, that they are still supported as a result of that, um, that they are not like chastised for getting that F. They're not chastised for like not finishing the project you know, things like that. And I think that even extends to, um, sorry, I'm going to say like a, uh, a, a buzzwordy thing, you know, lately, but like same thing around kind of like cancel culture, right. Of like when people fail, when, when people fail at like holding up the values that society says that they should hold up, are they still invited to the dinner table? Are they still kind of like included, but like said, Hey, maybe you should like listen, you know, about like, these are the reasons, like, we still love you. And these are the reasons, though, like, why we, you know, we want you to just kind of, like, listen to how it is that what you did affected other people or, you know, like, and then still allow those folks to be able to, like, kind of come back to the table, like, allow, giving people the space to fail at something and still be, like, encouraged to try again and to learn and to grow and to be in a type of environment where, like, they're not where like everybody doesn't have to be so like hyper-focused on like not screwing up because then like nobody ever wants to really do anything or even worse, they're going to be like totally fake about it, but never really like kind of show their genuine self. And I would rather people like always be, always show kind of a true genuine self, but then also be open to criticism, but from like, from a healthy, from a healthy place, not from like trying to chastise them, not trying to rake them over the coals, you know, kick them out of the family, all those types of things. And so building a tight, a better system where people are given the space to fail where like the folks around them, like are okay with them still failing and, you know, either being there to like, listen to comfort, to console and to inform. Um, yeah, th- those types of things. Like, so I've, I've been, like I said, I've been blessed, like being able to live a life where I have definitely made mistakes, but those, those mistakes never cost me everything, you know? Um, and that is, yeah, I think just through good community and then also just through grace, you know, where I've like have made mistakes. But if I was came from a different socioeconomic background, if I was like wrong place, wrong time, any of those types of things could have landed me in jail, dead, like all, all those types of things. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, super important, you know, and I think. Yeah, well, I don't know where I was going to take it with that, but <laughs> Uh, yeah (laughs) like uh i I was i was kind of thinking about i mean there's there's definitely a lot of a lot of things that were in there that i had been kind of like wanting to to kind of take a lot of different directions um but one thing i had been thinking about too is just like um because i do kind of like to talk about crypto on here a lot and just kind of like Mm -hmm. see what everyone that we we talk to and like ways that they that it can apply and I think one of the most exciting things for me from where I've, you know, and both of us are fair are pretty new at it. We're both pretty right. newbies. And um, 
But what I've been discovering is that what it allows uh, is that level of autonomy in a lot of places where I don't think it has been. Like, for instance, you're talking about the socioeconomic, you know, or like, you know, just your background, the fact that you have really smart parents, you know, your dad works at a, at a college, you know, the fact that you were able to afford going to college, you know, that your parents, um, uh, yeah, just the, the fact that you had really good mentors at college and you had good friends around you and, you, and all these things, uh, it's, it sets you up in a lot of ways, but like, if you didn't have that, you know, what's left for people who are poor and, you know, how can they even interact? And I think Luck. the system is broken. It's, it's essentially people are unmotivated to even get up and do anything because they don't have any of that sense of autonomy. They have these mm -hmm. blocks and walls in front of them. And so what I, what I find really exciting about um, crypto and a lot of the projects that are coming out is that they can, they offer up really novel, interesting ways for that to happen. And I'll give you an example is one day there's a, a thing called a DAO that is coming out. It's DAO and it stands for decentralized autonomous organization. And so a lot of these projects that are coming out, the whole point is that it'll be a team, they'll build it and they'll do a coin offering or something. It'll somehow drop it onto the public. And then they work to essentially remove themselves as the leaders of the organization. There's no centralized planning. There's no nobody who decides what the rules are it's the people who use it and so by getting on there and interacting with the system like playing with these coins doing the things that it's supposed to do offering a role becoming someone like some of these organizations need people to do things in the organization like for instance like bitcoin mining you need to mine it or whatever um so you jump into that role and then like all the all the only criteria that you need to do to get there is to just to get in there and start interacting. And then you can like the way that some of these work what could possibly work out is that just becomes your full time job It's just interacting and doing things. And then, you know, you hold a certain amount of uh, the currency that is part of it. And then that allows you to vote, you know, and and a lot of those will be pretty low. So the barrier to entry is not super high. So anyone can just kind of get in and be like, OK, pay 30 bucks and then you're you know, you have enough coin to vote on the governance of this thing. And then there are protections built into it. So to keep people from being bad actors, but it's just like, now that's just your job and you didn't apply for it. You didn't do anything. You were just interested in it. You know, imagine if like a Facebook group, like you were posting on this Facebook group every day and you started becoming really, you know, became the admin for it or something like that, facilitating conversations. And then that just became your job. And it's just the thing that you loved and you didn't have to you know, pass some gatekeeper to get it, you know? And so that's, what's really exciting about a lot of things now is that it's opening up areas and sectors to more, like to create more motivation for people potentially. That's what I see in there that could possibly happen, you know? Well, it, it's, it sounds like though, what you're saying that within that system is people are able to get to a certain point where they are able to sustain their standard of life. It sounds like where they're being paid in some way. Yeah. 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 So they're, so they're being paid to like, they have, they're able to afford their rent, mortgage, food, take care of their family, like those types of things. So what I'm, I'm with what you're saying, what I'm, it's actually making me more interested in is like the concepts, the ideas around like universal basic income, mm -hmm. like when, or, or just any kinds of system where, yeah, where like folks do not need, 
like I didn't ask to be born. I'm glad to be alive. I didn't ask to be born, but like, but now you're telling me that like, because I'm alive, I need to spend, you know, like 40 plus hours a week, like running this, running inside of this giant wheel in order to just like have food and shelter. Like, I don't think that hum- humanity was not always like that, but now all of a sudden we're kind of like built in a system that, that is like that. So what happens when folks have more autonomy over their time, you know, where yeah. they don't have to like work at some shitty job at, 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 at Walmart or something like that. Um, where there, you know, there've been the concept out there of like, what is it like the, the 30 hour or the 20 hour work week, just things like that, where there's like more time that people have that is unstructured, you know, and th- where they are maybe like they'll spend like a couple of days, a couple of weeks, just sort of like being bored. Some people will probably just like totally veg out and just like watch Netflix all day. And, you know, if some pe- folks want to do that, but that is not what is inherent within like the human spirit. Right. Yeah. That is not like how, how people, that is not our default nature. Um, and so what will happen when folks have more time to explore, to like to have, yeah, again, going back to like self-determination theory, when they have more autonomy over their time, when they are able to try things that they maybe maybe not have tried before, realize they're like, oh, I'm like really competent at this thing and I'm being rewarded in my competency by like learning more. Like, so you know, like the system that you just described too, people like find some niche, some niche like within that system, some place where they are needed um, and, and in a service that they, find themselves competent at providing relationships that they're building as a result of like that, those, those decisions and that, and, and applying their competency, like towards a thing and a value that they're getting out of it, you know, like more autonomy, more, like more autonomy over their time. They're able to like buy food, have a place to live, you know, those like base Maslow hierarchy of needs types of things. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, but no, we're all I mean, just now in this like frantic, we're not all, but just like, yeah, we're in the system right now where it's just sort of this like always frantic, go, go, go. Like I need to make sure that I'm always like moving so that I can have food and so that I can like have some place to live. At least those of us at this like socioeconomic rung of things. Um, yeah, no, I mean, having, having that, that like, I speaking just for me, like those, whenever I'll be like on a groove and just like killing it, feeling really great about what I'm doing. And then something happens financially, like a bill I forgot about or a thing, you know, something breaks and I need to repair it, I need to fix my car or something. And it just destroys me. And I think it does a lot of people when some kind of financial trouble pops up, it just wrecks everything that you're doing. And like, mm-hmm. I, I think I heard some stat about how like most marriages, like the reason they break up is money. It's like someone loses a job, something happens. And I, I don't think it can be overstated the amount of like negative stress that lack of funds puts on people. Like if you're constantly worried about where your next meal is going to come from, you're not going to think very high level about anything. You're not worried. You're not going to solve any interesting problems. You're just trying to figure out how can I get 10 bucks so I can buy something to, you know, McDonald's, you know, it's like, right. just like, and it's, and it, it's really unfortunate because you know, there is so much potential. And I agree with you. I think that like, people don't like to be bored. And, you know, Netflix is cool and all, but like, it gets boring pretty, pretty quick. Yeah, there's not really all that much change on on there. (laughs) So like, people are going to go in, they're going to solve interesting problems, they're going to find things, they're going to go to places like Meow Wolf, I think, and be like, this I is hope. cool. And then, you know, and I, and yeah, right, I hope I at least, hope. and I hope that, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids go there and they, and they find out that like, 
oh yeah, they're just normal people who made this. Like people just like you who went went and saw something cool. They played a video game and then they just kept doing it, you know, and they solved problems. And like, you know, kids grow up and say, I want to make Meow Wolf type stuff. I want to do that, you know, and then just have this ever growing world of people making interesting things for other people to enjoy and experience, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I think I'm trying to remember if it was one of your, one of these podcasts earlier um, that I was hearing, or if it was maybe another podcast, but talking about like, you know, when, when you do have kids that are like inspired, be like, Oh yeah, I want to try and make a Meow Wolf kind of thing too. The importance of showing process. I think it was you, but like, yeah, the importance of showing like every, the steps that somebody is taking to get to the level of like making something like a Meow Wolf or making some like big art piece. Like there's, there's the, this thing that we do where, you know, like on Instagram, we're like, we, you're just stunning. You know, you're just showing like just the final product and how that sometimes is not the most um, helpful thing for people when they're only seeing like your finished thing, instead of seeing like every step that you're taking along the way, like in order to get to that thing, kind of like showing off process Um, because there is an importance to letting people know that, yeah, by like seeing kind of those imperfections of some of whoever it is that your idol is or whoever it is that you like, whoever's artwork it is that you like the importance of seeing process of seeing like small little iterative steps that get you from point A to point B that you're not just like perfect, like right from the start, but that like, this is ha- that you have done this through processes of like iterating, trying something, failing at it, trying again, like succeeding a little bit better, but still not quite getting it. You know, there's uh, like a friend of a friend of mine now and somebody who you should actually like hopefully have on the podcast, uh, so oh, yeah. Stephen Fishman. Oh um, yeah, great yeah, idea. yeah, yeah. You should, yeah, you should get Stephen Fishman on this. Uh, I just reconnected with him yesterday via text message, and he showed me a project that he installed with. Oh, what's the name of that new uh, immersive installation that's out in Houston? Um, oh, uh, Color Factory. No, not Color Factory. Uh, it Miss Mystique or I need. Hold on, I'm like digging back through my text messages real, real quick. What it would be? Mesmerized. There's a place called Mesmerized. It, it's now. called. Yeah, there's a Seismic. Seismic. Oh, is that in is that in Houston or I haven't heard yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, it's in Houston. Yeah, so so check out check out Seismic. Uh but he did an installation for them that like I remember him first trying with um uh with East Austin Studio Tour back in like 20 was it 2018? Uh, may not have been it must have been 2017 something like that. But of just like that's somebody that's a career that I have enjoyed watching and like and he was one of the first people when i first moved to austin and you know we should maybe get into that too of like the where how i got to the new media art that i'm doing now oh, yeah uh but yeah like stephen fisher was one of the first people that i collaborated with um when i was like making those like the, the first set of small holograms that i was doing um and he has a project that he did for east austin studio tour that like he has now redone for a seismic um and kind of like and so it's like oh i see like the elements like within like how it is that you have iterated and how he has like changed his work somewhat over time like these all these little tiny elements and things that he has always been working on always developing like weird little symbol systems and like characters and this whole world that he has built um you know i've been able to like i've seen how over many, many years, and I'm continuing to kind of come back to that, he is able to build out these very interesting and imaginative worlds. And it's important for folks to like know that process and to know that there is not just like immediately 
like oh i had an idea and then i just executed on it and it was perfect yeah (laughs) that doesn't that is sometimes detrimental to to people who want to try a thing um for sure like not see like the dirty gritty bits of the process you know how about you show us some of your dirty gritty bits of your uh, process. No, <laughs> when I launched the OnlyFans. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. We launched the Pirate Utopia's OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have dirty bits of all of our guests. <laughs> Perfect. Or make like yeah, like the, the yeah Pirate Utopia calendar twenty twenty one. you when you see me do my crypto cast, you only see a from up here and above, but what's mm-hmm. below, that's for the OnlyFans. Working <laughs> yeah. from home, you know, that's it's got its beauty. <laughs> Well, tell, yeah, this, us, tell us how how did you how did you get into into the type of media art and everything that that you're doing now and that I've that we've known you to to do this whole time I've known you. So yeah, so I've been pretty lucky on how I uh, I've been on a pretty straight path towards the work that I'm doing now. Pretty linear, I feel like, because of how. Um, so when I so I went to the University of Florida. Actually, let me start back even before that when I was a wee lad um (laughs) and actually no yeah when I was like a wee lad maybe like seventh or eighth grade uh a friend and my neighbor showed me that he was doing animations with powerpoint but you know if you got if anybody remembers like powerpoint like the late 90s like 2000 like bean people you would have like bean sprites right and I learned that like you could ungroup those bean sprites and like you know to the individual arms and legs and then I learned how to like articulate them and then basically just do like frame by frame uh, kind of animations if y'all remember like back in the days of flash uh-huh. i didn't know how to do flash but i knew how to like do some animations on powerpoint and definitely was like telling stories that way you know so that was kind of some of the first like computer graphics work that i was doing i think i maybe even made like a silly little game or something too through like through, through the way that you can like set up the interactions and like what animation would happen if you clicked one button excuse me what button things like that um so that got me very interested in like storytelling and in movies. Uh, and then now like fast forward to, you know, I think I like in eighth grade, I think I did like a, a video production class. And that was the first time that I got a, I had a camera in my hand and like learned how to tell as good of a story as like a 12, 13 year old Ken with a camera, which is just like awful, but damn, we had a lot of fun, like trying thing. And again, like kind of having an idea, trying at it, failing and like not at all turning out the way that like I imagined my, you know, my like Spike Lee brain wanting to, to, to like make movies. Right. Um, and then like now I'm back in the United States. Uh, Oh, cause I, I lived in Yokosuka, Japan for seventh, eighth and ninth grade. My dad is, is a Navy, was a retired Navy chaplain. Um, so yeah, so I lived at a military base in Japan, seventh, eighth and ninth grade. And then after that moved to Pensacola, Florida, which was definitely like a bit of culture shock, like coming back to the United States. Didn't really have the culture shock going to Japan, strangely enough, because I think I was like 11, 12 years old. I didn't know what culture was to be shocked by. Uh Um, But then, yeah, like coming back to the U.S. and like hearing that I'm going to be in Florida, but like I hear Pensacola, Florida, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be Orlando or Miami or Jacksonville. No, it's lower (laughs) Alabama. Um, Did not know that at the time. And, you know, definitely like so moving there and then like being in this in this like in the south, essentially, um, not essentially. No, the Pensacola is the south. And trying to like navigate the school that I was at that was, you know, that was like half black, half white. One of like the only high school at that time that was like kind of mixed that way in Pensacola. Um, 
But my like senior year while I was there, uh, you know, both getting into theater, but also the biggest the biggest influence was getting into the morning video production class where they would um, tell the morning announcements every morning. Like at the the year before I got there, they were doing it live. When I got there, I got them to like pre-record it the day before. We started doing short videos. Uh, and just like fucking around like in the mornings too, you know, like the, the person, the teacher who was running that class was the band teacher and he used it as a planning period. So we were able to just like really get away with whatever it is that they were like, here's a bunch of like camera equipment and like, things to fit it with. And so we were like record, you know, and we were also like, many of us were good students too. So teachers like, let us get away with shit. Cause we would always like, you know, do, do our homework and turn our things in on time. We were like either honors or AP classes. Um, so we were getting our stuff done, but in the mornings, like many of us were definitely like messing around, came up with like some short films that we started like trying to make there. And then I would like go home. I would take all that footage and like taught myself how to edit, um, how to edit video and would put together like weird little short videos that like the next morning I would just go to the librarian who was responsible for like the CCTV uh, system at, at, at Woodham high school where I went and would, um, without even like vetting the content that I like edited the night before would just like air that out to the entire school. Uh, and so there were a bunch of like little tiny shorts, like one of which we did get in trouble for, uh, you know, I, I remember getting like a red slip to go to the principal's office and like talk about content. Um, but, but Hey, no, it was cool though. And so that definitely like wet my whistle for, you know, digital for like, for basically for just for storytelling and for like making movies. And so I wanted to become a director. Um, and I went to the university of Florida, took the telecommunication production program where I learned about, yeah, script writing, learned, you know, about like, uh, electronic field production, um, did a couple of other like short films that were there, some of which I think are still on YouTube. If you all look up like token one zero six, like T O K E N O N E zero six, you'll see some of my early work that I haven't touched in over a decade, but it's still up there. <laughs> um, and we, and so, yeah, like learned about filmmaking, did like a short, uh, did a short web series at the time. And this is also like early days of YouTube also. I think it's like 2008, 9, 10, something like that. Um, and so, yeah, while there, like got a whole lot of like animation and film and editing skills under my belt, uh, but then graduated, didn't really know what to do with myself after that. Cause I decided that like, I don't want to move to California or New York. I kind of like, just didn't, I, I saw sort of what the industry was and I was like, yeah, I don't really think I want to like, uh, I don't want to have to do that kind of work to get to like where I want to get to. Um, so then my dad randomly came across a graduate school program uh, that was going to get started up at this college called East Tennessee State University. And it was called the New Media Studio Program. It was going to be a cross-disciplinary between the digital media department at ETSU and the art department. Um, and it was, yeah, in this like emerging field of art called new media, which I had never heard of before until my dad, like sent me the link that was like, Hey man, check out this, this program. So, you know, on, on, as I'm driving from Florida to go visit my parents back in Memphis, where they were living at, where they're still living now. Um, I took a detour to Johnson city, Tennessee, which is like on the East side of the state, right underneath Virginia, right next to North Carolina, about like 45 minutes from Asheville. If anybody, if you know that territory, beautiful area, beautiful campus too. 
and um you know met the met one of the teachers for that program and was like hell yeah like this sounds like something that's going to be really cool plus like i also knew in my mind i was like wait this is a new program and you all don't exactly know how this is going to work this sounds like something that i can like kind of, i can come here and just get away with anything that i want to do because you all don't know what it is that this thing is supposed to be so i get to like make it mine so once again yeah autonomy and competence right mm-hmm. and like the relationships that i was able to build off of that um so they so while there the first semester or like like i came in with this interest of like learning about vr and this is definitely before oculus or before revive before any of that kind of stuff i was like yeah i want to know about like how to make things for vr because i'm interested in like that that kind of emerging tech space so the teacher who was like head of the game the game development program there i don't know why i put it in quotes the the game (laughs) development program there uh todd was uh told me he was like hey well if you want to do stuff for vr then you need to learn about video games and so it's like here is eight hours of, t- of of tutorial videos that i need you to watch before like next week and i'm like oh, oh crap uh but <laughs> i mean i dove into it though and, and i learned how to use the unreal engine um and at that time it was the it was a uh, uh unreal 3 or udk yeah unreal development kit uh and the unreal engine 3 and I didn't really know, I had never done any kind of programming before. I had never touched a line of code before. Um, and But within that version of Unreal, they had this thing called Kismet, which people know now in, in uh, Unreal 4 as Blueprints, where it is a visual programming system, where you have a series of nodes that have like different functions. So, you know, like one, one node may be like a switch and like an, on that switch, you can say, if the value that's coming in is greater than 10, then go out of this top switch. If it's less than 10, then go out of this bottom switch. And so it just like, is this visual language for, for, for software, for like building functions, for building software about like what, like this, this character, if this character touch is like touches this target, then do something and like boxes and lines that I would get to like draw together yeah. in order to make this thing. So it was just basically like, you know, wiring up a, a very complicated VCR and TV. No, same like the thing that I had been doing since I was like a little kid was like you know wiring up TVs and like speakers and stuff like that. And so, and, but it's some of that at some point. You have definitely <laughs> yeah. helped me out, and you are you know your way around some wires and plugs, must you know yourself, Mr. Caballero. Yeah. Um. So 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 yeah. So I, I got a, a good understanding of um. Yeah, of like of programming through that of through this like visual language system, and while I was there. Um, you know, not only like learning programming and video game design, but also like, what is art? What you, what can you get away with and call it art? And so I had to take like a, a modern art class and, you know, learned about, uh, like took a modern art class thinking it was going to be like more contemporary, but I didn't understand that like modern art is not contemporary art. So, you know, learning about stuff from like post Renaissance, yeah, post-Renaissance, but like up to like the 1920s, 1930s, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and definitely with like the tail end of that, you know, folks like Duchamp and, you know, um, like this is not, this, this is not a pipe. Art. No, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. The destruction of art. And in fact, one of the, the best pieces that I had to read while I was at school was called the, uh, oh, what is it? The, the state of art in the age of, oh no, art in the age of mechanical reproduction. Yeah, yeah like that, that is a classic that, that, that so many of us like are probably familiar with. And if you're not, it's, it's a, it's a pretty short read. And I recommend that. Yeah. That you check that. that that Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so while, so like I was saying, while I was there, like learning about art and then also while like being a graduate student, I was tasked with being 
the uh, the equipment manager for the digital media students. And so like I was ha- passing out cameras and like lights and all types of things that like the undergrads needed for some of the other programs that they were doing. So I was like locked in this very tiny closet with fluorescent light for many hours during the day. Uh, and for like sometimes even at night and, and I was uh, a lab proctor because so I was responsible for also like letting students into the building and like making sure that they weren't like fucking off. Or, you know, if they were fucking off that they invited me with it. <laughs> uh, definitely, like, lots of that. Uh, yeah, the, the Digital Media Center. It was, that was, like, one some of the best, like, the best, what, 18, 20 months uh, that I could have, that, that I had was, like, being in this space on campus with all of these other digital... Uh, this with all the other digital students that are working on Photoshop that are doing like 3d modeling and animation that are in game design. And we were like in this very separate building, like from the rest of campus too. We were like across the street from, from ETSU. Um, But anyway, so I'm locked in this closet for like many hours throughout the day. And somehow I forget exactly how, but I came across this website called vigilant citizen. Yeah. It's going to be a rabbit hole for anybody that wants to like type that into your web browser right now, but like learned a whole lot about uh, media and like media manipulation and about folks like Edward Bernays, who, you know, is the uh, considered the father of public relations. Uh, He was the nephew of Sigmund Freud, took the lessons of Sigmund Freud and about um, the people's unconscious biases, um, you know, like, and, and what people's drives really are, but applied that towards selling things towards advertising you know like and so that it was around like the time of Bernays where you started seeing commercials would be less about this is a product and this is why you should have the product because this product does these functions it does like these three things and it is quite practical for you you stop seeing commercials that did that and you started seeing commercials that like look at this product you see like see this pretty lady this pretty lady is with this guy because he has this product and he feels big and strong and you can feel big and strong too if you have this product or like or you're not adequate unless you have this thing like real men smoke you know lucky strike like things like that uh so i just started like especially coming off of my telecommunication production background where i did have to learn a lot about like the television industry learned about broadcasting and like broadcast rights um and and ratings and all of those kinds of things that are like are driving the market of of television, of media, of radio, and now like, you know, this like new version of the internet that's starting to come up now too. We're like, what, four or five years into the emergence of Facebook kind of around this time. Like the, this, the amount of uh, manipulation of images and sounds that are constantly being pumped into our brains through the various screens that we're at for the purposes of like selling us advertising or like kind of selling us on something. So I started like really diving in, diving deep into, uh, into that. Yeah. About like how much media, how much effect media has on us. And so I was, I was inspired to combine together, um, to, to basically create a character that I called the hi-fi God. Um, but before I even like get to that, the thing that I wound up do that I was getting interested in uh, for what I needed to do for my capstone project was, okay, how can I take these elements of, of this video game 
uh, like kind of in the visual, like, yeah, like this kind of like visual language that we understand of like of video games, but like make it actually be within a physical environment. Instead of you like watching a screen or having a controller in your hand and like looking at a screen or whatever, how can I like make that entity or that character, that type of environment be actually embodied in physical space? Uh, I first tried doing that with like some, with kind of projection map, not even projection mapping. First I tried like using the, oh, that's right. The Microsoft Connect was also pretty fresh at this time too and i was very right uh i was fascinated by that device uh because it was like oh this is a camera but it's able to like track my body limbs there's something that's here i am like physically being like put into this game and like my body like i am being in there's an embodiment that's happening here so how can i make an interesting experience like that is using the microsoft connect so I realized I'm like, okay, the body is already like physically there, but I want the thing that you're looking at to also be physically there. So uh, I think this is like around the same time too, you had the Tupac hologram that showed up at Coachella. Mm-hmm. Um, and I looked up, I was like, man, that was like really cool. How did that happen? And then it was only after like a couple of months later that I finally clicked in my head. It's like, oh, what happens if I combine the Microsoft Connect with... Uh, this Pepper's Ghost display, which is what the which is what the Tupac hologram was. And anybody who doesn't know Pepper's Ghost, it's like imagine you have a pane of glass, see-through glass that's sitting at a forty-five degree angle. And if you were to put an image underneath that forty-five degree glass, the image will reflect onto the glass and like be at ninety degrees standing up vertically and makes it look like there's something that's floating there. It used to see that effect at like the haunted mansion, you know, back in the day. I think they've upgraded it now. Or a but teleprompter. Then, that's yeah, that's how they do a lot. Yeah, of exactly teleprompter is the same exact is the same exact concept um so but yeah but except like you're looking at the person and that person's like looking at the word so yeah it's reflected on that glass so i i combine all of these ideas together of you know media manipulation microsoft connect creating a character that is like physically in the space and i wound up creating this character called the hi-fi god uh, and what I tell people, the Hi-Fi God is is a pseudo-holographic interactive installation that is a visitation with the personification and amalgamation of the sum of all the information that has ever been transmitted on the electromagnetic spectrum since the initiation of human manipulation of wireless communication. <laughs> been saying that for like, yeah, yes. since grad school. Uh, so I don't even <laughs> think about pretty it. Good. But yeah, like... Did that so come just from like, just like a day, like a night you were just... <laughs> like i don't i mean it like, definitely changed a bit over time like it definitely has more asians in there than it did when i first had it um <laughs> but yeah i forget exactly yeah it like it refined over time but it, it was a combination of yeah like learning about like nikolai tesla or i already knew about tesla from like undergrad when i had to learn you know about the history of television and radio um but yeah, that it, it just kind of that I don't exactly know how it all came together, um, but yeah, that is just like that's what Hi-Fi God is now. And so he is this character with a, a television for a head, like an old CRT television for a head, and this all white marble body. Um, and I didn't have this version for grad school, but it is like the way that it exists now is. Um, this yeah this TV head guy and all of these oh I collect I spent like about a summer collecting a bunch of old CRT televisions that people were throwing out on their front lawn or like out at like or I would find them at thrift stores or even friends would be like hey they would like call me up like hey man I just saw a CRT TV over here on this like the corner of the street like I'm gonna be right there and so I think over (laughs) over the course of a couple years maybe got up to like 18 or 20 CRT televisions and wired them all up 
um, and like using the Microsoft Connect and a big old pane of like four feet by 10 feet pane of glass so that when it's standing up at that 45 degree angle, it's like seven seven feet and some change, you know, four feet wide. And as soon as you walk in front of this installation, uh, all of the TVs go from the static to these like, to these teeth, these like cartoon looking teeth. And a holographic television like rises up out of the pile of TVs and this, you know, marble white body will materialize under it. Uh, and he greets you and he basically saying like, hi, I'm the hi-fi God. He says it much more eloquently than I do now. Um, but yeah, he's like, hi, I'm the hi-fi God. I've been around your entire life. I heard your first heartbeat. You know, uh, please don't be afraid of me. You've been like looking at me for your entire life after all. So please have a seat and I'll tell you more about myself. And so the Microsoft Connect is tracking you. So if you decide to sit down on a comfortable carpet that I have there, Hi-Fi God will recognize that. Uh, or if you continue to like stand in defiance, then he gets a little testy with you before carrying on talking about why he thinks himself to be a God. All of the TVs start flickering toward, you know, flickering through all of these pop culture and media images that I feel like have been pretty influential, at least like, you know, in the, on, in Western, you know, within Western media from like parades and commercials and like quick clips of Barney, but it's like coming at you at like rapid fire plays, imagining, you know, definitely inspired by the Matrix uh, Reloaded, you know, that scene with the architect. All right. So all these images that are rapid fire coming at you until he eventually uh, invites you to raise your arms in praise of him. And if you do, again, the connector's tracking you. And so if you do, then this heavenly light like shines down on him. And he says some stuff that we, I, I wrote this along with like a couple, with two other uh, partners at the, at, while I was in grad school. Um but yeah, he says some stuff that we like kind of ripped off of the Bible a little bit mm. before uh, like that light disappears. And in my ideal version, I've never really gotten this to work, but he would like print out a QR code that would lead you to a website where you can con continue to be one of his followers. And then like, I wanted to do some continued engagement with that later on, but that's a project for, for later on. I'm still going to come back to like hi-fi at some <laughs> point in the future. Um, or if you decide, mail, where, where would you even put that? Nah, I, I, it probably won't. It, I, it probably will yeah. not be. I, will no, say. I, I am so okay with that. Yeah, but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, no, yeah. I, the whole building is just hi-fi God. Meow yeah, I know. Now, exactly. God cannot contain hi-fi God, that is like that's the problem. I, I need like an <laughs> island. That's what I'm trying. To, no, um, so I mean, and, and I think it's interesting because you, know, you, yeah, you've come to a lot of. The, you, I'm trying to look at all the the common themes in your work because you also did um, that installation. I thought was really cool. It was propaganda? Yeah, that definitely was inspired also from from media. And so, yeah, I, I'm doing a long storytelling. But after yeah, doing Hi-Fi God in Austin for a little while, and then also building like another giant pyramid hologram thing, uh, where I partnered with. Uh, a woman, Elizabeth McQueen, who some folks around Austin definitely know of. Um, Great. Music. So she, yeah. So we we did this like whole uh, like six song visualization inside of like a holographic pyramid that um, where she like played the songs along with like people being able to interact with these like holograms inside of this giant thing. Uh, but then 
also like after going to Burning Man in 2016, on the way back, our crew, yeah, Chris, you were you were there. We remember. That's Love a whole you other too. Pod- yeah. Love you, Chris. That's a whole <laughs> other podcast talking about that journey. Uh, we stopped at Meow Wolf on the way back in 20, uh, 2016, and the house was only open for a couple of months, and felt super inspired by that. And so did a whole lot of other new media creatives in Austin, who uh, eventually, like for the East Austin Studio Tour that year, 2016, we put together a... Uh, we put together a, uh, a, a our own art collective called um, Vision Gland. I'm actually like coincidentally wearing like our logo for that Repping right now. Shirt. Repping the shirt. Because uh, yeah. that's definitely like, I will credit that as my origins and is a big reason why like I have the job that I do now. Uh, because we felt inspired uh, to also like create space in the backyard of the Austin Tinkering School, which I think like recently closed, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's going to iterate, I think, as something else. But what a wonderful, you know, place the tinkering school was. Um, it's everything that we've been talking about, you know, yeah. motivate kids to do things that you normally wouldn't expect kids to do. Learn to yeah. power tools, all sorts of shit. Right. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that she's working on a, on a van. She's working on like a mobile tinkering school. Ooh, cool. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so yeah, we put together an art collective called Vision Gland. And while there, the piece that I did, yeah, was I took those, some of the same CRT televisions And we went to the Austin resource recovery space and learned that they have this machine where they melt down styrofoam and they will compress it into what I call these like styrofoam shit bricks. And so I bought like, and these things are like heavy. They would be like, you know, 40, 50 pounds worth of styrofoam. That's just like compressed. It was crazy. So I built a wall out of those bricks and like old CRT televisions. And then I made a chair out of that same thing and created and made these headphones that had like capacitive touch uh, or that had like capacitive fiber on there so that when you would put the headphones on your head and like the headphones were also like connected to a uh, to an articulating lamp I like took the lamp part on and put the headphones on there so that your head was basically like locked in place you're looking at this wall of TVs and I collected an, a bunch of old um, old propaganda films or old um Things from like the 40s and 50s. If you go to like archive.org and if you look up the Prelinger archives, a lot of the, a, a lot of that stuff. Um, like one of my favorite videos on there that's super cringy was like super slut shamey. It was yeah. it was like about you know like this is this is Cindy. Like Cindy likes to sit in cars with boys, and but like Cindy likes to sit in cars with all the boys, and so the boys don't feel very special when they're around Cindy. <laughs> but this is Mary. Mary doesn't like sitting in cars with boys, and so the boys actually start like paying attention to this girl. Like just like like <laughs> like videos like that, or uh, or even how like the classic like duck and cover in there talking about like nuclear radiation. Well, anyway, so. If you put these headphones on um, using Max MSP, which is like what I graduated to after like Unreal Engine, somebody introduced me to Max, another like visual programming language that's like actually very old from like the early 90s um, that's been iterated on and still is like the lifeblood of like so much of what you see in Meowth today. All of that is like running on Max MSP and Touch oh, Designer. Really? Oh, and Raspberry nice. Pis. That nice. is essentially, yeah, what that, what those whole systems are. Well, 
Um, so you sit down in this chair, you put on the headphones and then over time, like the TV would start to like glitch out more and more and more. And like the sound that was coming out of that, you would only get from the, from the headphones. It wouldn't be coming out of the TV. There was like a different audio feed that would like get super weird and echoey and kind of this like weird acid trip. So I basically, the longer you watch this thing, the more fucked up that it got. But as soon as you (laughs) took the headphones off, it would like all snap back to normal. Um, and so it was actually like, yeah, in that, that installation, the whole thing was called the vessel. That was like the, definitely the, the founding of vision gland. And that same year, um, there was somebody who was trying to attract, like Meowth was on the lookout for like, where are we going to build our next thing? And they had an eye on Austin. Um, and part of that was because there was a, a guy, oh, I can't remember, Michael, I don't remember Michael's last name, but he is responsible for like the do 512 website and really like do stuff. There's like a bunch of other do area codes. Uh Uh, I can't remember his name, but he like got in touch with the meow of people and invited them to Austin. And while they were coming through, we still had the vessel up and running. And so that was actually when I got to first meet like all of the founders and a bunch of other um, people that I still work very closely with today. Um, they yeah they came through they saw the vessel and you know they were very moved by it because they said yeah in all the years that we have been like making the weird kind of zany installations that we've been doing we've never been able to really experience it from the other side maybe with the exception of city museum up in st louis Mm -hmm. Uh, but they never really got to experience it from the other side and so that was like my introduction to meeting all of those folks i kept in touch with them you know over the years um and then especially when they came through in 2018 for south by southwest West. Uh, one of them, Leo Brown, reached out to me and saying, like, hey, man, can you help me, like, organize this weird little scavenger hunt that we have going on? You know, I pointed him to a couple of other new media artists that I knew around in that space, like, uh, from just from, like, being around in Austin and, like, being in like really kept keeping up the relationships, finding out other people that were working on very interesting projects um, and also, like, putting on our own shows where we were curating, like, what are the, what are all the different projects that people are doing? Like, how can we just put all of those in one single space? So some of those, you know, either through, uh, through like getting art grants, you know, when, when we did like the second version of that giant hologram shape thing, I think also in 2018 or 2017, I forget, it's all fuzzy now. Or I feel like more importantly, like where I cut so much of my teeth was Location B, shout out to that space. Yeah. Um, Yeah, the 13 acre property down in South Austin where we used to do some like crazy all night raves or sometimes all weekend raids and things like that. And, you know, invite, trying to find, curate that space with as much new media art. Like what are people doing with, with touch designer? What are people doing with like weird cameras and like other sensors? Like, what is your thing that you're working on that is probably like half broken? You're still like trying to put together now, but like, what are you doing with that? Do you want to show it off? Like we built this giant like geodesic dome that we want to like put a bunch of art, like a bunch of new media artwork inside of and just have people come through and play with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really where so much of my like, joy for doing this kind of work came from was when I was finally able to just start putting it in front of the public and like kind of trying out new ideas, like getting new technology that's coming out. Like there was, I started doing, playing around with like an eye tracker, you know, like this thing where you can like, like look at the screen, but it was able to, it's like looking at your eyes and is able to tell about where on the screen you're, you know, you're looking at what is some kind of weird art piece that we can do with that 
uh, like the leap motion, the thing that was like, would do like hand tracking. There was, that was like very popular thing for a, for a minute too. I don't know how much it's, I think, and that kind of technology has been folded into like the VR glasses that we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so you can kind of see definitely the iteration of technology over time. Um, but. And I want to say like, yeah. for sure, like, I mean, just speaking to like process and stuff, like having shared a lot of those experiences with you, they were definitely like, it was it, it <laughs> they were rough. very frustrating and we were doing stuff in the jankiest of conditions you know oh, yeah like, <laughs> yes yeah. i mean at, half belt warehouses like yeah, things uh, were leaking yeah i mean especially what like one of the cool actually it's probably the coolest place i've seen uh hi-fi god was in that like a busted up shed at location b so it's yeah. just this old beaten up wooden shed it's probably built at the turn of the century or something i don't even know and yeah. it was just cool because it was stacked filled with tvs and it just felt so creepy and then there's just this like mystical like demon from the electromagnetic dimension yeah (laughs) it just shows up and like hello (laughs) and just you're like people were spun out because it'd be like three in the morning and see like that's when you want to experience some of this kind of art you know like not at like two in the afternoon but like Three in the morning, that's where you can really get crazy. <laughs> yeah, that is that is definitely what it was meant for. Uh, and where, where Hi-Fi God, yeah, I really found his home was inside of that shed out at that 13-acre property in South Austin at three in the morning. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like I've, I've meandered like a little bit, but yeah, it is so much of my interest has and like my success has been on looking at new technology that's coming out or like technology, maybe that's even been around for a while, but that has not been applied in maybe the most interesting of ways, you know, starting off with like the Microsoft connect back in grad school, looking at that piece of hardware and, and seeing like the games that were out for the time. We'd be like, this isn't really being put together for like to its highest potential. They're just kind of sticking this onto the way that we understand video games, like, like, and trying to make video games, but just like form fit the way that the connect will work for like, for some of these old games. And it's like, that's actually not the best application for like for this device. Like, what can we do for, for smaller moments of like, of, of embodiment. Um, and like, and probably not in a profitable way. We're like on a video game and I'm, I'm not going to sell a $60 like Microsoft connect game, you know, but you could definitely sell a ticket to an event that like has a weird Microsoft connect, you know, on there where you, as you move your hands around, like weird lights and colors happen, weird sounds happen. Uh, mm-hmm. or there's a character that emerges out of TVs that is like talking to you, just yeah. things like that. <laughs> so what so the same kind of stuff that we're trying to do at Meow Wolf for sure is like looking at what is it that's coming up next? What are yeah, what are what is what is the emerging technology? What is the stuff that is not quite ready for a prime time, but making sure that we are positioning ourselves, this is specifically like the team that I'm on, uh positioning ourselves to be able to adopt that technology for interesting immersive storytelling. Um and just building out like the platform, the kind of network that will be able to handle that, like that kind of new tech. So, all right, man. Yeah. It's so exciting. I feel like we could, we could keep going. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that, yeah, there's, I, I, we definitely got to get you back on again. Cause there's so much other stuff that, uh, that I want to talk about, you know, some other themes, just like, especially, um, I think it'd be great to have you on again and talk about, I mean, for whatever you can about the organization of Meow Wolf, because I think another theme throughout all of this too, is your ability to get in and not just manage like, you know, systems of like the, the 
tools, the technology that you're using, but also the systems of the people. You really get in and and uh, and help organize the people and organize the pro the project as a whole. And uh, like with with Vision Gland, um, you were definitely an instrumental part in the early early days of that in making it a real organization that lasted and it still has lasted since you've left. And I think if you hadn't been there in some of those early days to really kind of drive things home and keep the crew to, you know, working towards something, I don't think it would have lasted as long. Um, and, you know, I see you in a lot of other ways. And I think from other conversations we've had, you're doing similar things in the organization of Meow Wolf as well. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think that we'll have to save that for another podcast. Cause yeah, definitely come back at me with that after we're after COVID, after Denver, after some more reorgs, because yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a whole other can of worms to uh, to get in on another time. But yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that, man. Not only you know with that, but work that we did at Location B also, like that was also a huge organizational undertaking, uh, and just and also like the first time too that we got artists, we got people in Austin paid. You know, like just I want to leave with with this with this story with this tale because uh, we we came up with a system there called overt operations because we were very tired of like in the Austin uh, in the Austin party production scene the number of times that you would have a producer that would come in and like they would take all of the money for a thing like the producer would come in they would make an event and they would hire a bunch of uh, live painters or you know like other art like fire spinners DJs like all these different folks but like the money never really like flowed out to everybody that was there and so what Chauncey came up with uh, Chauncey Legomanon I can't I messed up your name Legomanon sorry Chauncey I messed up your name he yeah uh, like came, came up with this concept where like what are all of the roles that we need in order to like make this event be a success we're going to need some people like people that are going to come out and uh manage the land and like run cables run the electrical that's going to be around like build infrastructure people who are going to be djs people who are there to like support the djs live you know live painters fire spinners artists who are like you know like new media artists like myself who are like coming in and like doing installations for things people who are going to be taking tickets people who are going to be rangers and like roaming around so giving every one of those roles a percentage of the entire tickets that we came that came in. So, but I mean, like if you were, say, if you were a ranger and we gave like, all right, cool, 10% of the tickets of ticket sales is going to go to rangers. But if there's like five rangers, then they're going to split up that 10% between them. So that means that like, if you were to have a job where you're like a ranger, you brought a piece of art. Uh, you DJed and like you helped out on the land, then like you're getting a slice of 10%, you're getting a slice of 15%, you get a slice of 8%, you get a slice of like 20%, something like that. That was like the, it was South by Southwest. I want to say, was it 2017? Or maybe it was 2018. I'm, I'm going to think, think it, it was, was 17. I'm going to think it yeah. was yeah it was yeah because i was i was busy in 28 yeah i was i was working me off in 18 so in 2017 i think we brought in like 16 17 grand that weekend from a lot of like tourist dollars that came down to that property and wound up like splitting up that money like it was it felt really great like calling in all of the different people that were a part of that event and putting cash in their hand because we like share we did we we collectively shared in that and depending on how much like all the different roles that you did i remember like putting like 400 500 in some people's hands for just like you know for a weekend's worth of work well a weekend and then what all, all the work that like led up to that too but um yeah that that was like one of my favorite things and something that i'm looking forward to like getting back to is especially like post covid is like 
helping to foster build more communities you know because I, I miss working with y'all I, you know i miss like the, the kind of stuff even with like touch collective mm-hmm. where we were doing all the things that we used to do at, at the tea house um you know the the burning That's like the, the, the burning Man projects all those things and they're, they're definitely going to come back you know oh, yeah like, we got but, we got plans Oh, we got yeah, that. we got, and I have learned some shit since then, y'all. So you want yeah. to talk about like organizational things? Like, yeah, uh, let's let's get together again and like and continue making some cool ass art. Because um, I got some new, I I have unlocked a couple of new skill trees. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Very nice uh, to, well, to hey, bring that back home. But hey, before we, before we go and before we do all of that, uh, so just you know, for for people listening and and uh, even for me. Um, so what's what's the next step what do i do next but like uh if i want to be what you're doing if uh if i if i'm having this block how do you how you get how do you get away from this block how do you get away what's what's some sound advice for someone trying to do the next thing uh some sound advice i think is to play like so much of what i have gotten to now has been through just playing uh, not with any kind of end goal in mind, not to be like, I'm trying to be famous. I'm trying to be at this party. I'm trying to like get this specific kind of job. Cause the job that I had was the job that I have was not a job before I came on. And same thing when I was teaching at Skybridge Academy too, that was not a role that was there until I like made space for myself. And I was able to, I'm able to make these spaces through play through like finding something that I'm interested in. You know, like when I first got into max MSP, like after moving to Austin, uh, I didn't want to keep working on Unreal Engine. I needed like a new interactive software. And like Max is designed to just play with, you know, like to like learn, figure out like, what does this node do? Let me open up the help file for that. Copy and paste this over into my patch. What happens if I like connect these weird things together? Just from like, from a little tyke of, of, of playing with Legos when I'm a little kid or like connects or things like that, or what kids are doing now with Minecraft. Like we have access to all those different kinds of programs, all that kind of software uh, to just like get into it and to play with it and not be discouraged when you like are trying a thing and you're failing, but also don't be afraid to like the other thing too, is to put it in front of other people. I would not have, I also would not be where I was if like those things that I played with, I wasn't like, Hey, like check this thing out. What do you think of this? You know, like living when we were back living at the, the co-op or uh, afterwards, you know, um, yeah. When I, when I first like met you, Aaron and Dom and some of the other, the other folks too, uh, like, getting th- weird things that yeah i know that's another yeah, we didn't flashback. even talk about that yeah got, that's a whole again a whole other podcast yeah we have a podcast yeah. series here you yeah know? <laughs> um but getting into talking about um yeah like showing off the thing the the weird things that you are trying that may not totally work but that you find interesting it's important to share those things with other people and kind of get that feedback. Cause then you're going to also get that dopamine kick when people are like, Oh, this thing is really cool. I have no idea how I made that. I could never do that. And then you think it's like, well, you can never do that. I just learned how to do this like two hours ago. Barely <laughs> <laughs> like, that in two hours. Like what can I do in two days? So I think, yeah, play, but also make sure you like those things that you're playing with, give it, showing that off to other people so that they see that you were in a process as well, that they feel inspired to feel that process so that they come back to you and they're like saying, Hey, like, good job. You should keep like trying to do this thing. What if you tried this other thing? Uh, and avoiding the people who are like, that's stupid. Don't then like, don't show them anything anymore and maybe stop hanging out with them. <laughs> like that's not going to, that's not a friend um, who is like not encouraging you to continue to like play with the things that you're interested in. Um, 
yeah, that and, and meditation. And meditation. <laughs> and, and, and meditation. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's been nice yeah, hanging out with y'all. Uh, hopefully sometime soon after all this crazy pandemic stuff, I got to find, I'm going to find my way back in Texas and, and y'all need to find your way back out here to New Mexico. Yep. I think, I think so. there might be something soon, so we'll figure it out here. Or if y'all want to like take a trip to Vegas, that's actually what we should do. Yeah. I've actually been let's, thinking about let's, that. Let's, let's go, let's go hang out in Vegas. There are some other spots that I did not get to check out while I was there that, uh, yeah, we can, let's get in some trouble. <laughs> Down. All right, y'all. All right. Awesome. All right. Miss your friends. Give my love to everybody. And uh, I'll see you. See you on the interwebs. See you you there. Awesome. Awesome. Much love. Take it easy. Bye. All right. Well, yeah, that that sounds awesome. Wraps it up with Jerome. Uh, Yeah. We'll have some more with Pirate Utopias. Yeah. Keep it locked. We got plenty planned. Out.